chapel as a family. And I was about 10 years old when we came here. Um, this gentleman here was uh, one of the leaders of Austin Avenue Chapel back in the day. And um, along with Brian Dresser, and uh, who I don't see right now, but uh, and I uh, just wanted to acknowledge uh, his heritage. That what the age of the, I just want to acknowledge what he did in terms of the legacy that he uh, provided for us as a family, and also as he took us through and led us at, at a church, time when the church was really uh, going concerned. Austin Avenue Chapel was a real happening place. They called it Boogie Chapel. And uh, so I don't know who named that, but uh, anyways, my dad was up leading the singing, and that, right now he has the honor to read us uh, the scripture from Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 11. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we do the reading this morning. That was 50 years ago when we came here. Bill was 10 years old, and as they say, uh, nice to see this growth that's taking place here, and it's good to be here this morning. And... Uh, I, he took a chance when he asked me to read the scripture because I had cataract operation. Fifty years ago, I came with glasses here, but there's a healing taking place. I'm reading this morning without glasses, so if there's any mistakes, I won't be back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I tell you, I should say this, though. So, you know, this is an answer to prayer, Bill, Bill here, because uh, circumstances, when he phoned or told me that he's going to come back, I was, not to, I was going to say Austin, but Hillside. It was on, I said, Lord, that's an answer to prayer. And he didn't know how much we were praying for that. But uh, when God moves and we're ready to be blessed, so may God really use him for his glory in mm. this place here. Okay, Amen. we're going to read, uh, and scripture we're reading, of course, most of you have heard it, read it before, but uh, the significance of it. You know, this is, it says on the top here, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. But uh, that's quite a thing. If you're, I'm not sure what Bill's going to speak on. I don't want to take your time, Bill. But you know, the thing is that you know, sometimes we just accept these things. As king, do you think the people realized that he was? A, they didn't know who he was in a way. Yet, listen to this. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Just that's what he's asked them to do. Saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you and ask." Once you get, find a donkey tied there, now, once you find a donkey tied there with her coat by her, untie them and bring them to me. How would you like to do that? Out, out of nowhere, just walking there and going down there, untying a colt. The guy that owned it says, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? If anyone asks anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, that's quite a thing, isn't it? This is, well, the Lord needs, imagine, well, the Lord wants it. Imagine going out there and taking something and saying, well, the Lord wants me to do this for you. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. What a way for a king to come. Gentle and riding mm -hmm. on a donkey and on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them to do. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on there for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while the others cut branches for the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? 
The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophets from Nazareth and Galilee. May this morning we all be stirred and say, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Bless you. That's it, Bill. Thanks, Dad. Amen. You can be seated. I just want to pray. Lord, thank you that we can be able to uh, open your word and be able to uh, discover what you want to teach us this morning. And I pray that you would uh, help us to land where you want us to land this morning in terms of hearing from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is, um, is called Expectations, and um, I'm going to be using a, an outline that I use in my personal uh, quiet time with God. Uh, it's just three simple words, scriptures, stories, and songs. To be a little bit more specific about what I'm uh, saying by each one of those words, um, Scriptures is basically asking the question, what, is, what, am I, what am I reading? What am I observing? What am I interpreting here based upon what I'm observing? And the story is, how does this scripture connect with my story? And the song is confession. What do I need to confess? What is God asking me to do or change or realign in my perspective, attitude, and behavior as a result of what scripture has taught me. So that's my prayer this morning, that we would be able to uh, have God speak to us through his word. So, <clears throat> when we get into scripture, what does scripture teach us? Well, the triumphal entry is recorded in all four gospels. Matthew 21, 1 to 11, you've heard it read this morning. Also, Mark 11, 1 to 11 uh, references it. And Luke 19, 29 to 38, <clears throat> and John 12, verses 12 to 15. I've got my water up here, and that's why I've got it, so I'll be able to make myself, to lubricate myself right here. So two out of the four writers make reference to the prophecy foretold by Zechariah um, before this event took place. Matthew 21, 5, you heard it read this morning. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a, on a colt and the foal of a donkey. And John chapter 12, verse 15 also references it. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Three out of the four writers give account of Jesus sending two of his disciples to a village ahead to retrieve a donkey that Jesus would ride on. Scripture also teaches us that all the writers make reference to a crowd that's gathered. However, each writer, each gospel writer, describes the crowd a little differently. For example, Matthew records that it was a great crowd. Mark reports that there are many people. Luke breaks down the crowd a little bit more specifically in verse 36 of chapter 19 of Luke he reports that there was people that spread their cloaks along the way. And in the following verse, Luke reports that the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices. And John describes the crowd this way. The next day, the crowd, great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they went out to meet him. 
So we have lots of different angles to the story. I felt that as I was reading this and kind of preparing for today, I was thinking that I was kind of watching an event on news. Different news channels are kind of focusing on different kinds of, on the event in different ways, bringing something out that would make the, uh, help the, the viewer to understand the event more fully. And that is what I, I really see happening here. Um, that the crowds, even if there's crowds, there was something, there's a reason why each writer brought out a specific aspect of the crowd. Now, the other impression I got as I was uh, reading this, uh, these scriptures was I got the impression that it, the crowds didn't necessarily all just sort of like, wasn't just one big crowd all of a sudden. I really sensed as I was reading, this is what it comes into interpretation. So I'm observing now, I'm, I'm interpreting, I'm saying, what am I, what, what's happening here? And I'm sensing that this crowd most likely started maybe just with the disciples, could have been, and then it kind of grew, and the momentum got bigger and bigger. But by the time they got close to Jerusalem, there was this throng of people. Now, how many were at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver? Some of you. Did anyone experience that kind of excitement in the air? There was crowds of people. And what I found <clears throat> is as I was... We'd be, we took it in a number of different times, different times of the, of the two or two or three weeks that, there were, that was, the Olympics were happening. Um, we would be walking the streets, and it was so exciting. It was so, I was so, felt so proud to be a Canadian, so good to be amongst these people. And what we'd see is we'd see amongst this crowd, there'd be pockets of folks that were just congregating around somebody. It could have been a buckster. It could have been someone who was doing magic act. It could have been a number of different things. But it seemed like there was this crowd, and we'd kind of, as the size of the crowd often caused me to want to go and see because I'm just naturally curious. I'm naturally curious about what is going on. I want to be able to see what's happening. So that's one image I have. The other one is what happened with Terry Fox. When Terry Fox uh, started his run in 1980, he was dipping his leg into the Atlantic Ocean. And folks, there wasn't a lot of people there. There was just Terry and a few folks that have got behind him and want to support him. But there wasn't a lot. But as Terry moved from town to town, province to province, what was happening? There was a movement. There was excitement. There were people beginning to line the sides of the streets. People were starting to run behind him. By the time that he got into Toronto, I remember seeing this on the news, there was just many, many people, great crowds of people that were shouting, Go, Terry! They were shouting. They were happy. They were so proud. He's a, and you know what, guys? He's from Port Coquitlam, our town. That even made me more proud. Although, you know what, I think back, and I'm just, this is my editorial on that. I just uh, don't think that any of us realized what that significance of what Terry was doing at that time. But boy, in our family, we go to the run every, every the hometown run, September 18th or whatever it is, the third Sunday of, the, of, the, uh, of, the, of September, we're out there because of what Terry, uh, what Terry means to him, what he did as far as raising the awareness of cancer and cancer research and we are blessed to have him. But you can understand that there was that kind of excitement in the air. There was that kind of um, just joyful experience of having this guy, this Terry, running by. And that's what I believe is happening in this 
uh, event of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The writers describe it as shouting. There was singing. There was chanting, most likely. There was dancing. And there was palm branches being waved. All of the writers were giving different kinds of perspectives that were helping us as a reader to see this really was a joyful occasion. Now, I mentioned to you what I thought or the reasons why we thought Terry was drawing such a large crowd. Why was there excitement in this crowd? Why was there excitement in this crowd? Why was there such a celebrative mood? Well, John the writer gives us a clue in verse 17 and 18 of John 12. And it reads this. Now the crowd was with him, and when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued, it continued to spread the word. Many people, because he had given his miraculous sign, went out to meet him. There was something happened. The crowd was wanting to see Jesus, celebrating because, hey, he raised a dead man. Now, would not any of us want to be seeing someone who's raised a dead man? Their friend Lazarus was in the tomb just maybe days before this, and now, and they, they saw him come alive from the dead, and now these same folks are in this crowd, and you can bet that there's excitement, there's anticipation. Man, if he can raise Lazarus, maybe he can do something for me. Maybe he can heal my father. Maybe he can heal me. Maybe he can do another miracle. I've heard Jesus does lots of miracles. And so the, the, the news spread. And you know, folks, they didn't have text back then. They did not text. They did not have electronics to be able to communicate what was happening. But somehow, there was the news spread rapidly. And like going back to the image of the Olympics, there's just this crowd that's starting to line the streets. And I, I would guess that there's probably people that just wanted to check it out. And so this just naturally built. And the enthusiasm got, got greater. There was, there was a, um, I would say probably uh, there was sustained shouting. <laughs> Uh, sustained singing. There would be just lots of movement in that. And so I think the emotions of the crowd were really heightened. And I think that we could identify with that. But there's another underlying expectation that I want to focus on. It doesn't come out really clearly, but I think it's something that we can um, kind of consider as we... uh, try to, again, understand why there is this excitement building. And the, it's the expectation of what uh, the, any Jew that was in that crowd that day would be thinking about in the back of their mind. M.T. Wright, in his book, The Case for the Psalms, Why They Are Essential, states that within the hearts of Israel is the hope that God would one day do again in the future, what God did long ago, and thus enable Israel to fulfill its long-promised role, and in the end, a conviction that it is through the coming king, a human king, Israel's anointed representative, that Yahweh will establish his rule on earth 
as in heaven. This was something that Jews wouldn't think about. That's why in John, and I believe in, in Matthew, there are the writers allude to this prophecy in Zechariah. This would be something that wouldn't be foreign to them. In the Psalms, they would be reading Psalms. They, they would have known the Psalms. And the Psalms who refer again to this coming king, Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's right from the Psalms. There's something that Jews knew, and I believe that that built in to the expectations that was in that crowd that day because I'm believing that they were hoping. They were hoping. Now, the disciples were there, and they've been with Jesus for three years now. They'd seen things that he had done, but I believe that they were also thinking, maybe I can get both. Maybe I can get the kingdom of God and I get the kingdom of God on earth. Because as a Jew, I don't want to be under this Roman rule anymore. I want to be freed from that. So why wouldn't I hope that Jesus could be the guy that could do it for me? So that was something I believe that was in the hearts of the people. And so there was a, probably a contingent of a number of different expectations that were going on. There was, a, there was the expectation from some of the crowd that Jesus was going to liberate them, that he was going to be the king who's finally come to liberate us. And then there was this idea, based upon the, the prophecies, that God's earthly kingdom was going to happen, and Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it here. And then there was this other uh, contingent of expectations that would suggest that, hey, if Jesus can rise, raise, raise a guy from the dead, like, check, check it out. I want to be there. I just want to see what this guy's going to do. Maybe he's going to do more. So there's, there's lots of different expectations that uh, were in this crowd. Now, we know how the story goes, but they didn't. We know what happened. We know that it started Passion Week, then Jesus is going to be going through some pretty awful things. But the crowd didn't know that. All they were, is they were right now, in that moment, had all their expectations heightened, for whatever reason. But Jesus was about to reign on their parade. Because he was heading into Jerusalem, not to set up an earthly kingdom. He was going to Jerusalem, and he was going to be tried. He was going to be convicted of being a criminal, and he was going to be nailed to the cross, to a cross. And the crowd, where was the crowd? I was reading a couple of chapters later. It says in uh, uh, Matthew 26, I believe, it says, and the disciples deserted him. There was no crowd. When Jesus started to go through what they were perceiving and seeing, I'm sorry, they were seeing somebody that said, hey, I wasn't counting on this. Jesus, you're king. I thought you were going to be king. You're, you're going this way. I thought you were going this way. There was a misconception. Dying was not what they hoped the Messiah would do. They were impressed about Jesus' preaching and his miracles, and they would thought that he would be led, leading in power and glory, not the cross the crowd that was shouting and singing and dancing would be let down. Even Jesus' closest followers, 
his disciples, the ones that were with him for three years, that were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, that knew about the coming kingdom, that it was through a, a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, that they heard this and they didn't quite get it. They had witnessed miracles. They saw changes in their own lives as a result of Jesus and what, they were, what he was doing. They, some of them, even in this group of disciples, confessed and, and professed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So some of them had it. But in the excitement, there was, well, it's natural. As you get excited about things, you sometimes kind of lose perspective sometimes. And what gives me this, the clue about this misunderstanding is what John says in chapter 12, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not, did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that the things that had been done and written about him, and that these things had been done to him. So it, 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 the light bulb did not go on for them right away. And that's what makes disciples and what makes this message so hopeful to us. Because we don't always get it right. But we, well, the disciples deserted Jesus. Jesus was left alone. And um, I, want to, I want us to move on and, and look into the story now. You, I hope that you've been able to follow with me so far. You've got the idea, the image, the feelings, the, the expectations that were, that were happening in this group of people on this day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But how do these scriptures connect with your story? Where do you see yourself in the crowd? Do you see yourself on the outskirts of it, kind of looking in, kind of curious, kind of just checking this out. Maybe you're a, just a person who's just been coming to Hillside or maybe it's through Alpha and you've been getting really interested in Jesus about what he's claiming to be. You haven't completely put it together in your head what it's all about, but you're just curious and you're checking it out. Maybe you're on the outside kind of looking in. Maybe you're in relationship to Jesus, you're just, um, you know, you're just, you got one foot in and you're just kind of getting caught up with the excitement of the day. Or maybe you're right in there, 100%, just loving it. You're dancing, you're shouting, you're doing whatever it is, whatever excitement that you have, because this person, Jesus, is riding by, and the, the crowd is just carrying you through. Now, you're just loving a party. It's great. It's great, and you know what? And even more, you might be one of those disciples that really knew who Jesus was, and you're just celebrating that. Who represents you in the crowd is another question that we need to ask. Who represents you? Now, I've kind of hinted about where you are in relationship, but perhaps you are, again, someone who is just, uh, someone who's just checking things out and uh, wants to explore faith a bit more, um, you might be someone who is uh, in the crowd, but just, again, loving the party, not really sure why you're there, but just really wanting to, because like, you like being in crowds. Crowds are something that you really enjoy. 
don't and really your, so your faith isn't really solid. It's kind of you're just kind of going along with the crowd. And then there's also folks that are seasoned um, followers who have or just belief in the in the in the God who is going to one day fulfill his promise. Who are you in the crowd? Another question that I want you to ask yourselves is what are my expectations of Jesus? What are my expectations of him? The crowd had different kinds of expectations for that day. What are yours? In your story right now, this walk that you're walking, what are your expectations of Jesus? And do you have expectations of Jesus that are self-serving? In other words, you're kind of following along, hoping because you want him to do what you want him to do. And another question, is my expectations of Jesus in line with his agenda? Are my expectations in line with his agenda? See, on that day, as I said, there's lots of expectations that the crowd had. And I think what we can relate to, I certainly can, is the idea that we, at times, think we know where Jesus is going. We believe in our hearts that he has taken us on this road, taking me on this road, but he suddenly does something completely, completely different than what I anticipated. And you know what that does? It leaves me disappointed. Doesn't it? It just leaves me disappointed. And it's okay. It's okay to be disappointed. I mean, if you did draw any, any comfort from the disciples, I mean, they deserted him. But we know the rest of the story. We know how it goes. But I want to come back and I want to park on this idea of a disappointment because I believe it's something that we need to address with God personally because um, in our disappointment, we've got to figure out a way to realign ourselves with that. Now, I want to share with you um, uh, in my own life how things have happened in terms of expectations. I want to show, share with you and uh, tell you about an expectation that really went wrong, uh, really took me way off course in terms of what I thought, and an expectation that kind of led me to a place that um, actually uh, just seemed to be so much God. Um, so first of all, and I, you know what I, I was, when I was thinking about sharing this, I have so many. Like I, have a, I do a journal, I have so many times in my life where I have thought that this is what God's doing, this is where he's taking me, and it's not exactly what is happening. And I've got to adjust to that. So, you know, we've talked today about Austin. And, the, the, and it's, a, it's a rich history. It really is. But when I was in, in 1990, I was um, leading, I was involved on, as a youth pastor, I believe I was. No, I wasn't a youth pastor. I was, I was worship leading at that point. But we were having some great worship times. We were celebrating we really believe that God was doing something great in our midst, and he was. I'm not going to take away that at all. But what I uh, found is that in the process of um, you know, going along with what God seemed to be doing at Austin at that moment, um, I began to feel concerned about some, some things that just weren't, weren't settling with me. And, and so what I did is I, I, um, I reached out and I, I just tried to get some clarification 
I, um, it didn't, the, the clarif- there was no clarification. In fact, it just didn't seem that my, the answers to my questions were being answered the way I wanted them to be answered. And so we ended up leaving Hills, uh, Austin at that point. I left very disillusioned. I, I'm not, I can't begin to tell you. There's just too much history to, 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 spend, to I spend another hour telling you about the emotions of that. But I really felt let down. I really, first of all, thought that I was part of something. And again, I, when I say I'm part of something, I believed I was part of something. God was doing a good thing. If you could talk to people in that day, the, God was doing a lot of good things. But there were some things that I felt concerned about. So when I raised them to leadership, they were not complying. They weren't responding. And they, in fact, I just thought, hey, I can't, I can't be here anymore. I just can't be here. So I made the decision with our family. We, we left. And if you look at my journal, it is one sad, sad story of me just trying to figure out, okay, God, this is my life. Austin was my life. I was, you know, 10 years old, I've been, I was coming here. I became the youth pastor. My identity was in this church at the time. So when I couldn't, didn't see God doing what I thought he was doing, and I got things a little confused, it just devastated me. And I just found myself in a position where I just had a, it was like I was in a dark hole. I just had to climb out of it somehow. And God was gracious. He did. We, over the years, he, he, you know, restored me. We came back to Hillside about eight years later. But during that time, I was dealing with an expectation that was probably more to do with me than to do with God at that point. It was what I was bringing into this situation at the time that made me most likely disappointed. And that's something we, should have, to, we have to learn in, in, our, in our growth as, in, as Christians is that we have to realize that God is up to something and it's, it's really our responsibility to be aligned to that. But sometimes we just don't get it. The disciples didn't get it. I draw comfort from that. They didn't get it. He, they were with him and they still didn't get fully what he was intending to do. Now that's, that's one uh, type of expectation and I think some of you could probably relate to that. Somehow there's been a, something in your life where you've been really let down and you're just, maybe even you're right in it right now. This is your story right now that you're in that, and you're just trying to figure out, I want to encourage you to hang in there. If I can be of any encouragement to you, just hang in there and trust. And, and I'm going to be doing a song a little bit later that just talks about what I've, what I've come to realize is sort of the way I can align that myself to those kinds of disappointments. But I want to now switch over to something that's happening right now with me. So... We, you may have, some of you have had maybe bits in the story of how I've ended up back at Hillside. I had an expectation, but it was, it was an expectation that said, God, I really am sensing that you wanted me to come back into ministry. I've been doing case managing. I've been in the not-for-profit sector for a good 10 years now, more. And I was uh, content, in a sense, to say, look, if this is where you want me to end my career, I'll, I'll end it here. I was doing good work with people. I was finding that there was some people who were being helped through my, through my involvement, my intervention. But I was asking God, God, what um, are you saying to me? Is there, is there a ministry opportunity? I mean, I've got these gifts, and I think, you know, do you, is there some way that I can use them? But what would it be like? Where would I go? And 
Hillside was not on the radar whatsoever. There was absolutely, there, there was, I mean, I had come to peace in my heart about Hillside, but I was just not thinking that Hillside would be where God would end, I would end up with. So I, um, I said about three years ago, I started, I started putting feelers out. I, I applied to a, for a church, pastor, social pastor position a year ago. I didn't even get shortlisted. So I said, okay, God, I guess that's maybe, okay, well, just maybe the timing's not right here. But I didn't. I just said, okay, now let's keep going. So now I'm in um, the August of, of 2017, and my son Jason comes to me and says, uh, Dad, there's an opportunity at CLA, Christian Life Assembly, uh, a job that they're kind of, they're creating a, a position, you should check it out. So I went in for an informal, very, very informal interview at that point. And I just, uh, just said, okay, God, if you're in this, you know, keep, and I'm taking baby steps here. I'm trusting you. You know what happens before? I've taken, I've had expectations that have really gone the wrong way. So please, please, don't disappoint me, please. So I'm taking steps. And um, the next thing happens is that a couple of other job postings come up on my, my screen, and one's it for Alpha. So Alpha, as you know, is an organization that uh, just really has some great steps toward understanding faith. And I have been impacted by it. Our family's been impacted by it. Our son Jason's in full-time, or almost full-time with, with Alpha. There's a lot of reasons that I'm drawn to that organization. And the job description looked really attractive. It looked like it would be something that would stretch me. I, th- I thought I had the wheelhouse of, of skills to be able to actually do the job. But one of the requirements was that I needed to have a senior pastor sign off, like endorse me, to be a reference for me. Now, I hadn't really uh, been, I didn't have a really a senior pastor. I couldn't really have in the last number of years had someone I'd say was my senior pastor. I've been to CLA, we've been in different churches, but really, at the end of the day, it really, it wasn't, I didn't really feel comfortable going to them. They didn't really know who I was. The only person that knew me, knew my, my connection to Alpha and just knew about me was Derwin. That was the only person that I could think of. And when I thought about it, I said, hmm, I should reach out to him. I should probably email him and see if he email him and ask if he wants to meet for coffee. I didn't tell him in the email what I was doing. I just simply said to him, hey, Derwin, let's meet for coffee. So we met for coffee. And I told him why I was doing it. I, Derwin, I have an opportunity to apply for a job with Alpha. I need your endorsement. Would you endorse me? Would you be my reference? He said, no problem. So, as the coffee continued, I showed him the references, or showed him the job descriptions, and he looked at them, and he quickly looked at one of CLA, Christian Life Assembly, and he said, uh, hmm, that looks really interesting. It looks like, I love the way they're formatting this. It's so, and so that's, that's Derwin for you, right? Just kind of always thinking of the spot. And so, um, I looked at him, and I looked at his response, and I said, well, why are you so intrigued? Again, guys, I'm thinking Alpha. I'm thinking Christian Life Assembly. I'm not thinking Hillside. Hillside's not on my radar at all. So he says, well, we're looking for an associate pastor. We both went, huh. <laughs> and, he, and he actually had, I think he had a step of faith, I believe, that says, to ask me, would you be interested? And I... 
So I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'll t- definitely think about it. And so those are the things I was pondering. So here's my, my expectations of just wanting to know if God's leading back into ministry. Now we've come to a place where there's actually something that's really lining up here. And I've got to figure, I've got, I've got to trust God. Are you in this? So I just continued as a good case manager, appointment counselor does, I just follow through. So I follow through and I apply for the jobs. I apply for all three of them. Said, okay, God, what are you going to do? Where are you going to show me? Where are you going to lead me? Maybe none of them are going to come to pass. Maybe I'm going to continue as a case manager and that'll be fine. But maybe you've got something else in store for me. So I just took that step of faith and I applied and the only church that came back to me was Hillside. And then began the process of going through formal interviews. It wasn't like it was just a slam dunk. I went through a formal interview process. I had to get myself connected with the MCC and get my, the, the paperwork done at that end. So it was a process. And I was just saying, if this is meant to be, this is meant to be. That's all I could say. And so here I am today. Now, this is what I want to say. There was an expectation. I ha- I've had a number of different expectations in my life. Some of them, I thought God is doing something, and I'm right on board, thinking it's like it's, it's, it's a slam dunk, and he just takes me. He's completely going in a direction I never anticipated, and it's left me disappointed. This is an example of where I am today, of me stepping out and trusting, having an expectation, but believing that I want to really make sure that I'm aligning myself with what God's doing. And so to be aware of that, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to just trust that he's doing it and this is what he wants me to do. So I want to give that story to you because when we come to Scripture, we um, need to do observation. Observation is very important when we read Scripture. When it comes to interpreting, we need to be able to know how are we interpreting it. And then what impact is that having on my story? And as I look around this group today, every one of you has a story. You might be rejoicing with me that you, God's come through in something that you've trusted him for. And you're just, you're, you know the favor of the Lord is upon you. You know you're doing the right thing. And we need to rejoice in that. And there's some of you here that are actually in situations where you're disappointed, that actually has caused you to have a faith crisis. You're just not sure what's going on. You said, God, Jesus, I thought you were leading me. What's happened? And so what I, where I want us to land this morning, wherever you're at in your journey of faith, is that, that we need to align ourselves with his agenda. We need to find ways, if we're in living in the disappointed side, we need to confess that and ask God to um, bring people into our lives, bring scripture into our lives through the Holy Spirit to, be, to encourage us to trust that he actually is still in control, that Jesus is going, going to go into that, um, that week where he's going to suffer and he's going to die, but he's going to be resurrected. There's hope. That's what we have as, in, in, as, as Christians. We have that hope. What do we need to do to align ourselves with his agenda? Because we sometimes don't get it right. We don't have the right agenda sometimes. We think that we have his agenda, but we don't. 
And you know what Jesus is saying to you who may be disappointed? He's saying, that's okay. That's okay. Um, my, my closest disciples didn't get it right. I still love them, and I still want them to follow me, and I want you to follow me. So I want to encourage you with those words this morning. And what um, I'm going to do is, is do a song that, um, it's a, a song that I actually wrote. Uh, there's two songs I'm going to do. And one song I wrote when I was in the midst of this real crisis. I've written a lot of songs, actually, in the midst of crisis, faith crisis. So, but this is just one of them, okay? And what it is, is basically calling me back to what I believe is what we need to be focusing on in our faith. The words go, you've called me to be faithful, you've called me to be true, you've called me to follow, to keep my eyes on you. You've called me to this journey, to walk each step by faith, you've called me, Lord, to seek you, to always seek your face. And when darkness overwhelms me, and I cannot find the way, it's your word that brings me comfort, your spirit gives me strength. And when I've lost the vision... When I've lost the vision of what you've called me to, I'll keep holding on to Jesus and trust he'll see me through. And then um, we're going to do a song that is a, I, would, I don't know if it's a classic of, Hills, of Austin, but it's called Fixing Our Eyes in Jesus Christ, taken from Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll finish with that. So I just trust that somehow this message has landed with you somehow that you've been able to be encouraged, you've been able to maybe face some questions for yourself and your story, your journey, that you can leave today really with hope um, and uh, with the belief that God is in control and that uh, just to be sure that we align ourselves with this agenda. If you're in that space of disappointment and you need to see some light and some hope, we would love to pray with you and encourage you in that way. And so um, I know there's lots of different needs. There's lots of different stories out there. And I just would ask you to respond and just trust that as you take these words, that you take them home and, and just reflect upon them some more and just uh, continue to ask God, how am I aligning myself with you in my life? So from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, may the God of peace fill you with all joy as you trust in the Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Have a good Palm Sunday.